Good morning, everyone. My name is Sam Foster. I'm one of the three youth pastors here at Richmond Anglican. And Wayne has blessed me with the opportunity to speak to you all this morning. Uh, Today's passage is from Mark chapter 4. So if you could please leave that open in your Bibles. Or if you didn't grab your Bibles out because you just like to listen during the reading, please have one open. We'll be going through that in some depth. Um, But before we do that, how about we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege that it is to be a part of your kingdom. Thank you for the privilege that it is to look into your word, Lord. I ask that you would speak through me this morning and that we would all walk away from here knowing just a little bit more about you and hopefully a little bit more about ourselves. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Okay. So today we're um, looking at a rather well-known parable. And for those of you that are following along, you will have realized that we actually skipped a chapter to get to chapter four today. So hopefully you read the difference over the course of the week. If you didn't, though, do not fret. I'll cover a little bit of what went on. But over the next week, perhaps you could read through the entirety of Mark if you have the time, or you could at least read through chapters three, four, and maybe five in order to get a bit of preparation for the couple of weeks ahead in the lead up towards Easter. Obviously, this parable is quite well known. It's a parable where Jesus is telling about different types of soil and how well those types of soil respond to seed thrown by a sower, a person throwing seed. We then get an explanation from Jesus of what this parable actually means with all sorts of implications that we could spend hours exploring. And to be honest, I struggled in preparing this sermon over the last few weeks. I debated on what to actually preach on. I prayed about it. Um, hopefully we'll find that I landed on something useful for us all to look at together today. And what we're going to do is run through the parable together, try and figure out what's going on. Then we'll look at Jesus' explanation of the different types of soil and their various levels of receptiveness to the seed. Then we'll spend some time focusing on the implications of Jesus' explanation for both our lives and the, the people at the time. And weaved through that, will touch on why Jesus spoke in parables. Why did he tell this story and give the vast majority of the people there no explanation? If you look, you'll see he explained it to his disciples and a select few after he told the parable to the entire crowd. So barring any more preamble, let's dive in, plow ahead, pardon the pun. You'll need your Bibles open to Mark chapter 4. Look with me at verse 1. This is before we even get to the parable. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake, while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. Jesus has amassed such a following prior to this event that he has to get into a boat to escape them and preach from the water. From reading through the few chapters before this, we know that not all of the people there attending this impromptu teaching event were there to see Jesus as the Son of God. No, they were were there for the show. He had healed lepers, unshriveled a man's hand on the Sabbath. He'd eaten with sinners, healed a paralyzed man, driven out an impure spirit, and many other signs and great deeds in between. The Gospels are full of them. These people had heard of the man the controversial man, the magician, 
Some were saying demon-possessed, others were saying God, and they were there for the show. It's amazing how different people hearing the same thing, seeing the same event, can have such different responses to it. In the chapter before, in chapter 3, we saw Pharisees listen to what Jesus had to say and watch what he was doing, not to actually learn anything from it, but to catch him out in order that they might plot to kill him. We saw his family turn up while he was preaching to a crowd in a house in order to take him away because they were embarrassed by what he was doing. The crowds that are there now in this passage that we're reading through today are thrill-seekers. They're there just to get their kick from what he's doing. And his disciples, they gave up everything in response to this man. All of this kind of feeds in to what Jesus is teaching the people, or at least trying to teach some of them in today's passage. So keeping all of that in our heads, all of that locked in the backs of our minds as we look today, let's look at the parable. This is Mark chapter 4, verses 2 through 8. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. So here we have a story of a farmer sowing seeds, a relatable and common occurrence to the people of the day. Jesus' Galilean audience, because he was in Galilee, knew from their context that when you were sowing seeds, sometimes those seeds would fall in places that would not grow. But some would, and that would hopefully even out to produce a profitable crop. And Jesus speaks of four different types of soil that a farmer could encounter. He speaks of a path, a rocky place, some thorn-infested ground, and some good soil. And for each one, he tells the people how those different types of soil respond to the seed sown by the farmer. The seed that falls on the path is eaten by birds, gone. The seed in the rocky places can't put down deep roots. It sprang up quickly, spread its roots along the surface to get a lot of water. But when the sun came up, the plant was scorched and withered. It had no roots. The seed that fell in the thorns grew, but got choked out by those thorns, so as not to produce any grain. And the final seed that fell on good soil produced a crop 30, 60, or 100 times more than what was sown. Let's just look at that last one for a bit. The people Jesus was speaking to understood all of this far better than we ever will at first glance because this was a part of their daily lives. They knew farming, they knew crops, but the numbers Jesus threw around towards the end there would have surprised them. To produce a crop 30 times that which was sown would make you a very successful farmer, 
would make you a rich man, let alone to produce a crop 60 or or 100 times more than what you threw out. Jesus gave them a story they could understand with a conclusion that went beyond their comprehension. And he finishes this story off with the statement, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. So what does this all mean? This is kind of our big question for today. What is the point of this story? What are you getting at, Jesus? I've heard this story before. I'm sure many of you have heard this story before, but it's worth noting, disregarding that, how hard it would be to make the leap of understanding and get what Jesus is saying here if you hadn't had it explained to you previously. The train of thought that brings us to this, the train of thought where we're like, okay, this is actually quite a hard story to understand without having it explained to us previously, brings us to where the disciples and Jesus' closer believers are at. Jesus has told the masses this story, and then afterwards his disciples come up to him. Look with me at verse 10. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. They say something like, hey, Jesus, we really don't get what you're trying to say there. It, we, we understand that seeds thrown in bad soil won't, won't grow, but how does that relate to us? How does that relate to who you are? What are you trying to say to us? And Jesus responds quite cryptically at first. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. The secrets that lead to you potentially having a saving relationship with God. The secrets that Jesus knows, because he is God, have been given to you. You have access and the state of mind to understand what is being said, Jesus said to the disciples. But to those on the outside, I speak in parables. You see, a parable with no explanation is just a riddle. A puzzle to be solved with no certainty of a solution in sight. Has anybody ever tried to solve a massive thousand-piece, I'm not even sure, I don't really do jigsaw puzzles, a massive thousand-piece puzzle without knowing what picture you're trying to create? It's virtually impossible. Now imagine that it's just blue. They're all one color. And you just have to try and match all those pieces up together. But Jesus has given his closest disciples, those near him, the secrets to the kingdom of God. Those who believe. But those who are outside of this, those who may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding are just here for the show. Those who don't believe, who are on the outside. Jesus has put up a filter against 
those people. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now, this sounds harsh. It sounds harsh, but it's not. Jesus is using his parables as a way of teaching those who want and need to be taught, whilst holding back from those who do not desire to learn, the hard-hearted. And as a little side note, if you're following along in one of our church Bibles, you'll notice a little footnote at that section where it says, maybe ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, that says this is a quote from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, where judgment is pronounced upon God's people. Why would Jesus do that? Well, this parable is told by Jesus as a mark of a judgment pronounced upon the listeners that some there have had too many chances. It marks a turning point in his ministry in which he no longer speaks plainly. He puts up this filter of parables. But joyfully and thankfully for us, keep in mind this wasn't a universal thing. From that first reading, Paul in his ministry didn't speak in parables to put up a filter. 1 Corinthians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 2. For I resolve to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He preached a simple message of gospel truth. So, what does this mean? We need to acknowledge that Jesus speaking in a parable here did not make the truth plain, but rather it elaborated upon it in such a way as to enlighten those who want to seek him but only within the context of the specific people he was speaking to. Context, 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 oh, so important. Let's move on. Look with me at verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Jesus is kind of answering their question. The disciples at this time, though, were slow. They were not quick to apprehend the meaning of what was going on, but they were willing to learn. You see, this parable is a guide to the various responses people can have to God's word. The disciples, the the men that had been following Jesus, had given up virtually everything for him, were eventually going to be sent out by him to teach and to preach, and they needed to know what this parable had to say. But at this time, they didn't get it. And Jesus says, if you can't understand this parable, how will you understand all of my parables? If we reverse that statement, this parable is key to understanding all of my parables. So in an act of gentle service towards them and their ministries to come in his name, he explains the parable to them and by extension to us 2,000 years later. We're going to work through this step by step, pausing at each kind of symbolic revelation as it comes up. So look with me at verse 14. The farmer sows the seed, the word. The farmer, the one throwing the seed, is not throwing seed at all. In this first verse, we learn the seed 
is the word, the message, the gospel, the truth of Jesus Christ and him at the time not but now crucified. This provides us with the theme for the entire parable. It's about spreading the word, evangelism essentially, and this new knowledge brings us into the various types of soil. We're going to run through all of them and then circle back around and see how they relate to us. Verse 15. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. We have our first soil type. And from this, we can gather that the soil types are a type of response. If you've heard me saying that, this is where this comes from. We have our first soil type, and it's a response to the seed being thrown. Some people are like a hard surface. The seed lands on them, the word is spoken to them, but as soon as they hear that word, Satan comes and takes it away. Takes away that which was sown. They don't even have a chance to truly listen to what was said. That's our first one. Verses 16 and 17. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. This type of soil, this person that hears the word, receives it with joy. They are glad to have heard the word, but they do not invest. They don't take it on board. Their growth is superficial. It takes no root in their heart, merely in their emotions. There is no substance, no heart, so that when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. When times get hard, they fall. They cling to things of this world, and those things become stones in the ground that prevent their roots from going deeper and getting the water they need to survive. There's no substance, no staying power from a lack of willingness to commit or a willingness to omit the things of this world. Verses 18 and 19. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. This type of soil, these people that hear the word are not that dissimilar to the last type. But in my opinion, the main difference between them is the end result. These people grow well at first. The soil is there. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke away that growth. Their fruitfulness is stopped by the things of this world, similar to the rocky ground, but this time it is not hardships causing them to fall away, but rather the world stopping them from bearing fruit. They don't necessarily disregard the word, but rather they reap no harvest. There is no fruit from their labor. And finally, verse 20, others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, 
and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. This final grouping, this final soil type, this final group of people hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Of course, this doesn't mean that we all quit our jobs and start growing plants in our backyard, although I hear gardening is a fun pastime. What it does mean is that we should start throwing seeds. We should start throwing seeds of our own. This final group eventually becomes the farmer. They sow seeds in this joyful cycle. They spread the word. And in that way, it multiplies out almost supernaturally from that single seed that was sown in them. From the first time they heard the message of Christ and accepted it into their hearts. Well done, everyone. Pat yourselves on the back. We made it. There are four soil types. We have a hard path, rocky ground, thorn-infested soil, and good soil. Clearly, we all want to be that last one. We all want to be good soil, or I hope you do. If you don't want to be that, come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to have a chat. But the unfortunate thing is, and I don't know about you, but it's certainly true for me, it's very easy to look at the other three types of soil and see them reflected within ourselves. Because there are times when my heart is hard, when the devil actively takes away stuff that I might need to hear. It can be very easy to forget that Satan exists, that he is actively working against us. But he's there. It says so in the passage. For example, how do you spend your Saturday nights? Are you sitting in your seat today barely able to focus or keep your eyes open because you wanted to watch just one more episode? because you wanted to read just one more chapter of your book? What stuff do you fill your head with in the morning before church? What music do you listen to? What radio station do you put on? There are so many subtle ways Satan can whisk away what you need to be hearing. It's that little voice in the back of your head that says, ah, it doesn't matter. Just, you can just sleep through the sermon at church tomorrow. I know I'm a big culprit of this. I often don't think about what I'm doing on Saturday before I get to church. And then I get here and I'm incredibly tired. It's not good. That's something that I need to work on. Perhaps you need to work on that as well. Perhaps you find yourself relating to the second soil type. Perhaps there are things in your life stopping you from putting down roots. Anger at a particular person is stopping you from forgiving them. Perhaps you're so busy at work that you just don't have time to read your Bible. Let me tell you that if you don't regularly delve into God's Word and seek what He has to teach you from it, you're spreading your roots along the surface of rocky ground. Beware that the sun doesn't come up. That you get asked a difficult question you don't know the answer to, that something terrible happens to you. Brothers and sisters, I pray this doesn't happen to you, but beware a shallow faith in which you don't delve deeply into God's Word, in which you don't let it impact your heart, 
because that is where the change happens. That's where you have a saving relationship with God. Perhaps you can see some thorns in your life. Thorns that you have to struggle against and eventually work to either cut or rip out. Thorns that stop you producing fruit. Because the mark of a true believer, a true follower of Christ, is their fruit. Fruit isn't just people converted or new Christians. It's the things you do, the way you live your life. Believers are known by the way that they act. Maybe anger is your thorn. Pride, lust, envy, the list goes on. So many things. But it's worth noting here that the words used to describe the thorns are worries of this life, deceitfulness of money, and just a desire for stuff. Money is not evil. It can be very easy to think that money is bad. But the love of money is bad. Because you're loving something that has no end goal, has no cap. There will always be someone with more to be jealous of and always be someone with less to pity or to judge. Don't revolve your life around money, around a safe retirement, around a nice house. Sure, have those things. Go for it. Have a retirement plan. It's probably a good idea in Australia. But don't make it your focus. Jesus should be your focus. And finally, the good soil. That sweet, sweet soil that, as we sang about, makes great mud pies. This is what we want to be. There's no warnings here, just goals. Hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Sow more seeds. Tell others about Jesus. Share the good news that you have been given. Bear fruit and live life the way Jesus tells you. Cut out those thorns. Dig down those roots and beware the temptations and ministrations of the devil. This kind of leads us nicely into the last five verses of our passage for today. I know we only read to 24, but I'd like to extend it to 25 as well. We'll just kind of tuck it in there. This is where Jesus is explaining how to go about acting upon being that last soil because it's all well and good to say that that last soil exists but we want to make sure we're being that last soil and he asks them a question it's not another mini parable it's just kind of a rhetorical question that they should know the answer to look with me at verses 21 through 25 he said to them do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed Instead, don't you put it on its stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. Consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. These final verses and warnings are like the key on a map to the parable that we just heard. They're a how-to guide on this parable. In verses 21 and 22, he tells them to sow the seed. You've been given a light. Don't hide it under a bowl or under a bed. Share it. 
If you hide that light away, it doesn't even benefit you, let alone anybody else. The secrets of the kingdom of God have been made known to you, so in turn, make them known to others. In verse 23, if anyone has ears to hear, let them hear. If people want to listen, let them. If they don't, oh well. One of the great joys, and I suppose sadnesses at the same time, but mainly joy for us of this parable is realizing that plants not growing was no fault of the sower. It was no shortcoming in the seed, but rather it was a problem with the soil. Fair enough, if you really wanted to get a seed to grow on a path, back then their paths weren't concrete, they were just really hard dirt, you probably could. If you take a mattock, hack at it for days on end, water it, soften that soil up, take out all of the rocks, but it's a lot of work. It was no shortcoming of the sower or the seed, but rather a problem with the soil that stopped the seed from growing. Disciples, when you share the seed, don't change it. Don't sugarcoat it. Don't add to it in some bid to get better growth because the seed is perfect. I resolved to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. And also, don't feel that you have to change yourself. Obviously still abide by the laws of the land, but don't think for a second that the farmer wearing a cooler t-shirt would have made more of an impact on the seed sprouting in the soil. Let's put him in a, a baggy black top, some black ripped skinnies, some Doc Martens, give him like a, a five panel cap and play some rock music in the background and maybe, maybe then the seed will grow. Maybe if we play a synthesizer like in the back of the sermon, maybe then people will respond. But that's falling into the danger of that second soil type with an emotional response and nothing deeper. Don't feel you have to change yourself because it is God that does the work. Just get out there and throw some seed. Don't be concerned if it seems people don't respond. The seed was scattered. If they have ears to hear, they will hear. And in the last two verses, Jesus kind of flips that on its head to say, make sure that you yourself are hearing. Because you have been given these secrets. You have to listen to them. You have to make sure that you yourself understand them. Don't use that as a stumbling block that you place in your own way to say, I don't know enough, so I can't throw the seeds out there. But make sure you pay attention. Make sure you read your Bibles. Make sure you pray. Now, guys, there is such a wealth and fountain of understanding for Jesus' ministry and his expectations of his disciples from just these 25 verses. And I felt in preparing, I could have talked for hours. I cut so much out to get us to this point. But I think it's probably nearly been long enough, I hope, for us to get a grip on what has been explored and kind of expanded upon by Jesus. So let's just summarize. If you haven't been paying attention to any of it, please just zone in now for the next like couple of minutes 
and then we'll just give you a short, concise version of the sermon, and then if you're listening to it on the recording, you can just go back and listen to this last little section. Because as Christians, we are called to evangelize. It's plain and it's simple. We're called to share the word. But in doing that, be ever careful that you do not fall away yourself, because weeds can sneak up on you, and stop you from bearing fruit. If you go away and leave a garden untended for half a year, you'll come back and find it's not a garden, it's a jungle. Because the weeds have grown up. Make sure you are tending your faith. You're pulling out those thorns when they come up. You're getting rid of those stones that you come across as you're trying to dig your roots deeper. But in doing that as we're evangelizing, don't be ashamed if there is a lack of a response. And also don't take pride if there is one, because it is the Spirit taking hold of, working in, and changing hearts that leads to souls saved and a plentiful harvest. Take comfort in that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent your Son to die on the cross, especially as we draw closer to Easter. Please help us to remember that. Please help us to reflect upon that. Lord, please help that to impact our lives every day, every moment of every day. Lord, please help us to try and sow the seeds of your word. Please help us to tell others about our faith confidently and clearly and with the knowledge to back it up. Please help us to delve into your word night and day, whenever we get a spare moment, Lord. And I ask that you would help us to pray. Lord, your son gave so much for us. And we want to do the same for him. Please help us to do so. In your son's name we pray. Amen.